Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. A warm and friendly hello. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the baseball betting show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you. Joining me in segment number two, one of our favorites, Rob Donaldson. He does great work with his show slash podcast, Rob's Best Bets. You're able to find that easy enough at youtube.com slash his name, Rob Donaldson. And he does an amazing job taking a look at the game of baseball. We're going to be looking at how some of these teams in playoff races are shaping up going into the final one and after two weeks of the regular season with the AL West being hot and heavy, the Toronto Blue Jays trying to pin down a wild card spot. All these teams in the National League, like the Diamondbacks, the Cubs, the Giants, they are slugging it out for one of those wild card spots as well. So we're going to be looking at those teams and we're going to be breaking down the card for Tuesday in the final segment. Going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this Baseball Tuesday as we touch them all. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline slash my X timeline at GNNRSquarty1. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean us not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter questions today, slash X questions today, but had a great day of baseball on Monday. Let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game's from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. I will preface this with I will have a little bit of cleanup on these West Coast games on the podcast tomorrow because the Greg Peterson experience is from midnight to 3 Eastern time, Pacific time, 9 to midnight over on VSIN, the Sports Bank Network. So I have to do this right around about 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time with the uh, Rockies, Padres, Mariners, and A's, along with the Tigers and the Dodgers game. Just getting started, but the DK Network write-up streak is going to be 6. Hopefully we can run it to 7 on Tuesday, but we have gotten it to 6 with taking the Phillies' money line, and they get it done against the Atlanta Braves, 7-1. 
Zach Wheeler allowed a home run in the first inning, and that was it. He was great, giving up one run over the course of six innings. From there, you had Gregory Soto, Matt Strom, along Dylan Covey, all be able to supply scoreless innings. And for Braves pitching, they allowed five home runs in this one. Michael Tonkin gave up three runs in three innings. Kyle Wright gave up four runs in four innings before Lucas Lukey held down the fort with two scoreless innings and for the Phillies. Over the uh, last 45 or so days, are averaging right around two home runs per game. Bryce Harper went deep, 18th home run season. Nick Cassianos is 25th. JT Riemito is 19th. Kyle Schwarber is 45th. And then home run number two for Johan Rojas. So a big win there for the Philadelphia Phillies. The White Sox entered into Monday with the worst record in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. It has been deplorable for them to say the least but you know what they were able to get the job done on this night by kind of six to one against the national team that's been right around 500 ever since the all-star break but for the white Sox, they were able to get a home run off the bat of luis robert 36th home run season that comes off of yohan adon who he allowed five runs in five innings he's clearly not necessarily the guy that's been the profitable pitcher and we have seen the betting amount of money that he has made you versus the actual performance not really lining up. You did have Corey Abbott from there, Lent two in a third inning scoreless. Jose Ferrar, he gives up a run and two outside the bullpen before Thaddeus Ward. He was able to give you a scoreless inning. You did have a home run off the bat of Don Smith, 10th home run season off of Mike Clevenger. Pitch a complete game, gave up that solo home run. That was it. Better to have him out there complete the game rather than the bullpen with the way that they have been pitching. So good on them for the Miami Marlins. They entered into Monday 29-12 and in one-run games. That's now 29 and 13. The Mets, they get a 2 to 1 win as they were able to plate a run in the ninth inning via Jeff McNeil's sole home run. His 10th of the campaign that came off of Tanner Scott is. It was a well pitched game. Edward Cabrera has had his walks issues all season long. Only one walks rendered, allowed one run in five and a third innings. From there, A.J. Puck gets five outs out of the bullpen scoreless. David Robertson, the former Met, a scoreless inning before Tanner Scott gives up that sole home run. And for the New York Mets, how about what you were able to get out of Jose Buto? Gives up one run in six innings before Grant Hartwig, Phil Bickford, and Adam Anavino were all able to end in scoreless innings. So the Miami Marlins, they are right in the thick of the playoff picture. And so are the Cincinnati Reds, who are right now tied for that final wild card spot with their win on Monday. 7-3, they take down the Minnesota Twins. Joe Ryan did not have it in this one, giving up four runs over the course of five innings, including a home run to Will Benson, his 11th home run in the campaign. Dallas Keuchel comes in in long relief, giving up three runs in three innings. And for the Twins, he did have a pair of home runs. Royce Lewis, the non-grand slam variety, is 15th home run of the season. And then Alex Kurloff gets home run number nine. Those both come off of Connor Phillips, who landed seven innings, gave up two solo home runs. Very solid performance for Alex Young. Derek Law, they're both able to come in and supply a scoreless innings. This for a red team that been very interesting with regards to their home and road split says they've actually got a winning record on the road at 42 and 34, and they're now 37 and 39 at home. So that's been a fascination. Early on in the day, if you had the Cleveland Guardians or the under in this game, this was rough as the Cleveland Guardians lost the plate in the eighth inning and they lost the game by kind of six of four as Cal Quantro, relatively solid start. Two runs surrendered and five and two-thirds innings, including a home run given up to Nelson Velasquez. His 14th home run season from there, Sam Entages, a scoreless inning. Reynaldo Lopez gets it out of the bullpen. And then Trevor Steven 
gives up four runs, three of which were earned on no hits. He just walked a whole bunch of guys, and yeah, De Los Santos from there gives up a hit in relief. He was unable to strain runners on base, so he doesn't give up any runs, but he could not hold them on for Mr. Trevor Steven and for the Cleveland Guardians, they stranded quite a few men on base themselves. Two of 11 with men in scoring position. You did have Gabriel Urias get a home run off of Brady Singer. Tenth home run season. Singer, he was singing the blues until the team bailed him out. Four runs surrendered in six innings. From there, Tucker Davidson, Jackson Cower, and James MacArthur were all able to end a scoreless inning. This game just wrapped up as Adam Wainwright gets win number 200, 1-0. The St. Louis Cardinals get it done as... Freddie Peralta, the tough luck loser, gives up a solo home run over the course of six innings. Going deep for St. Louis, Wilson Contreras, his 20th home run season. He has been sought in for Adam Wainwright. It has been a horrible year for him. He entered in this game having given up at least three runs in 17 out of his first 20 starts. This was his best start of the year. Seven scoreless innings. From there, John King, Ryan Elsley, they piecemeal together two scoreless innings as the Milwaukee Brewers go 0-4 with men in scoring position. So they found this one, and the Cardinals get Mr. Adam Wainwright win number th- 200. This game is going on as I do this podcast. It is currently 3-3 between the Astros and the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles, they were able to sew up a playoff spot on Sunday. So you're wondering if they were going to be partying too hardy for this one, but Justin Verlander has been lit up a little bit. He's given up eight hits, three runs over the course of six innings. Right now for Baltimore, they have just turned to the bullpen after John Means. He uh, lended five innings, giving up one run, but Shatero Fujinami, who really untrustworthy in the bullpen. He currently has at a 7-11 ERA. He's always open to giving up runs. He's given up two runs and a third of an inning, so we're going to need to do a little bit of cleanup on this game as it is still raging on, but that is one to watch out for. And then with the Boston Red Sox and the Texas Rangers game. Rangers entered into the eighth inning leading, and the Red Sox, they are right now putting up the runs on what is a really, really bad Rangers bullpen. Jordan Montgomery, great start. Seven innings, one run allowed, and Will Smith has gotten jiggy with it already. Haven't given up two runs doing this in the top of the eighth inning as Cutter Crawford, he departs after a very solid start, giving up two runs over the course of six innings to Josh Winkowski from there. It's gotten a scoreless inning going deep for Texas. Marcus Simeon, leadoff home run in the first inning, 25th home run of the campaign. So we shall see what happens there. So we've got a little bit of cleanup on the podcast tomorrow. But if you're looking at the entirety of the baseball season, the odds makers have done a very, very good job of setting these totals over the last seven days. We have seen things be a tad bit more underwhelming, 48 unders of 41 overs. Weather is getting a little bit cooler. 54% of games going under with a few Monday games pending. Favorites have had their struggles as well. 49 and 44 straight up with 18 of these 49 favorites being unable to cover. Minus one and a half on the run line. If you're taking a look at the last three days, been a little bit better. But favorites still having a little bit of a rough go of it. Ending at 56.2%, 222 and 173 straight up. Meanwhile, on the run line, we have seen 54 different favorites win outright and not be able to cover minus one and a half with the over. Ending at about 54.5% over the last three days. 208 overs, 173 unders. And if you look at the entirety of the baseball season, the under has tied up overs. 1,081 overs. 1,081 unders. Doesn't get any better than that. As favorites, they've went about 57.7%. 1,289 and 946 straight up. But among these favorites, we now have a grand total of 327, but unable to cover minus one and a half. So that's what we're seeing in baseball right now. And that's what we all got on Monday. Again, 
a little bit of cleanup on the podcast tomorrow. And coming up next, a man that always cleans up very well. A man that does a tremendous job taking a look at this great game of baseball. Rob Donaldson, we're going to be taking a look at these playoff races and what we've all got on tap for Tuesday. That's on the flip side. You're on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free... This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, 
features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here at Lucky Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always great to be joined by this man. It's Rob Donaldson. He does a great job handicapping so many different sports. He does an amazing job with regards to the baseball front this time of year. I know that he, much like myself, is getting set or what is going to be an incredible college basketball season as well with Rob. He does a great job over on his YouTube feed, youtube.com slash Rob Donaldson. That's where you're able to catch his show slash podcast, the Rob's Best Bet Show. Typically, that's about five plus times a weekend. You're able to follow him on X slash Twitter at Rob DFB altogether. And Rob, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Greg. Obviously, we are nearing October baseball with the walk-up songs, the moments. We are so close to it. Oh, we certainly are. And Rob, when it comes to this time of year, we typically have a few playoff races that are hot and heavy. And I mean, this year, I feel like it's even better than it has been the last few years because of all the intrigue in the AL West. How do you take a look at the AL West right now? Because the rubber is really going to be meeting the road when the Mariners and the Texas Rangers hook up for a pair of series towards back half of the season. And I just do take a look at the AL West. And if you're able to get like some sort of bet for the Rangers to miss a playoffs, I think that that's very intriguing because with the Texas Rangers, all the injuries that they've sustained, I do think that they're going to be the team that ultimately misses out on the postseason. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And unfortunately, there's a few teams that I really liked watching all season long that are really just hitting a low stride offensively. I mean, Toronto, Chicago, Seattle, those teams have really cooled off down to the bottom of the entire league. That's a really awful place to be in when you know, your pitchers, they are pretty good across the board there, and at least in spots, but I don't know if they have the horses right now that's going to pick up this offense. Yep, I'm right there with you, and with that Texas Rangers bunch as well, dealing with a Dolores Garcia being out full, Josh Young as well, that is something to watch out for, but their main competition most likely for that final playoff spot is going to be the Toronto Blue Jays, and how do you view them going into this final two weeks of the regular season? Because they're going to be in a relative pick'em game against the New York Yankees, one in which I do think that it's a good spot for the Toronto Blue Jays personally. But I do take a look at these two teams, and they are a little bit befuddling, and the Blue Jays have been that one team all year long that I've had a very tough time gauging. Yeah, it feels like the Blue Jays go through really big spurts because they haven't had an impact bat be that impact bat consistently all year long. I mean, Vlad had his issues. Springer had his issues. It was really just random guys throughout the lineup who were kind of trying to pick up the slack. But when you do have star power like that, they have to be leaving an impact on each and every game, especially coming down to crunch time. And right now, obviously, they have won six of the last 10, but 
their offense, they've scored 34 runs, which is third worst in all Major League Baseball over the last 10 games. And that's a tough spot to put your pitching staff in. Yep, it is a very tough spot to put your staff into. And with regards to the Toronto Blue Jays pitching staff, they're going to have Yusei Kikuchi on the bump for this Tuesday game, which I do think is going to be of intrigue as Rob Donaldson, who does great work with the show slash podcast, Rob's Best Best, is joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show. And with Yusei Kikuchi, very small favorite slash to pick him right now, anywhere between minus 105 to a minus 112 with the total of eight and a half. And Clark Schmidt going for the Yankees. How do you get just one? Because with the Blue Jays, I've mentioned the fact that they are a little bit of a befuddling team, but at the same time, I just do not trust in the New York Yankees in a darn near pick game. And with Clark Schmidt, he's done a good job of not allowing really more than three runs, but it just feels like he keeps allowing like three runs over the course of five to six innings and darn near every single one of his starts. Yep. And you know, that's definitely one of my concerns with taking Clark Schmidt right now, because he is going about five innings pitched four and two thirds, maybe six. And he is sitting at that three earned runs and the Yankees offense isn't really that great either. One of the things that concerns me, at least with the Blue Jays side in this game, is that Yusei Kikuchi went on a 10-game tear where he was pitching like one of the better pitchers in baseball, which is a rarity for me to kind of see that because I've been fading this guy for the last two years or so because of these hard hit percentages he's allowing. And now they're kind of working their back in the fold. Every other game seems like he is getting tagged. Maybe you don't want to, you know, bet against the Blue Jays right now with the season on the line or bet on the Yankees. But I really do think the Yankees are the side here that I would want to be part of. With the New York Yankees, the biggest thing is, can they just put bat to ball? Because they do have guys who are able to take a yard, but I mean, if you look at just the raw average and the swings and misses that they've been having, that's been really rough for the New York Yankees all season long. So we shall see on that front as well. And then when it comes to the American League side of things, we also do have the Texas Rangers, who I was alluding to a little bit before. And when Nathan Avaldi takes them out, I feel like everything goes out the window because he just hasn't been able to fill more than like three to four innings ever since he's come off the ender list. Going to be going up against Sander Hope of the Boston Red Sox. Red Sox are between about a plus 130 to a plus 140 underdog. And with the Rangers, you'll find them in that neighborhood about a minus 150. I'm not sure how you read this game, but with regards to Nathan Avaldi, I just don't want to be laying right around about a minus 150 or so with him because you just don't know how long he's going to be able to go in this game. 100% agree with you. And also Tanner Hawk is coming off his best start of his entire season. So now you have a guy who's coming in red hot. He is still a young pitcher. He's 27 years old. He's thinking about a career ahead of this season. If the Red Sox obviously can't get back in it, which they are not going to. With the Rangers, you you nailed it on Evaldi. I think that he really started off the season wrong and he already had the name brand value to go with it, but he is absolutely cratered out and I don't want any part of him, especially with a Red Sox lineup who's actually hitting the ball, at least somewhat more respectable than they were about a month ago or about a couple weeks ago, that is. If you're giving me plus money, plus 124, plus 130 in that range, I'm all over the Red Sox in that game. Yeah, personally, I would need a little bit more than about a plus 124, plus 130, but I'm currently seeing a plus 140 out there and getting a plus 140 on the Red Sox. You can sign me up for that one. As (laughs) joining me on the show, we've got Rob Donaldson. He does great work over at the show slash podcast, Rob's Best Bets, and joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show. And with regards to this game, Kyle Gibson against Hunter Brown, I think is so intriguing because Hunter Brown for the Houston Astros going up against the Orioles, by the way, he just has not pitched well at home all season long. And what I think is most interesting about Hunter Brown is that his walks per nine rate nearly doubles when he's at home rather than on the road. It's almost unexplainable. 
his home and road splits going up against Kyle Gibson, who throughout his career, he's typically always been a much better home pitcher than a road pitcher. But this year, it's been the reverse. Right now, I'm seeing at DraftKings, the Astros right around a minus 122, plus 102, uh, Baltimore with a total of nine. I'm not sure how you read this game, but with Baltimore, certainly the starting pitching is a little bit of an issue. And for the Houston Astros, it is a little bit of that as well. But I take a look at both of these offenses, and if you're giving me a nine, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. I am right there with you. I think both of these teams are obviously two of the three best offenses in all of baseball, in my opinion, that is, up there with the Braves or the Dodgers. And I really think you could split those pairs any way you want. But when you are going up against Hunter Brown and you've had a lot of success and you are smoking the ball off the bat right now, like the Orioles are, you know, a fastball dominant pitcher who really just kind of lacks a lot of nuance to his pitches is probably going to experience some trouble. And I think we're probably on the same side here. I'm really liking the Orioles and I'm really liking the over. I really do think there's going to be a lot of runs early on here. Yeah, but I would like to get a little bit more than a plus 102 on the Orioles. Right now, I'm only seeing a number at DraftKings and I'm sure that we'll probably be seeing a little bit more moving forward. If we could get a bit more of a plus number, I'd be willing to take a shot on the Orioles, but certainly seeing a nine out there, a little bit befuddling to me. So certainly going to be taking a look in an over on that spot. And I mean, we've been talking a lot about the American League. A lot of that is because a lot of these National League games are strangely off the board as we're doing this podcast. It feels like everyone in the National League decided, oh, we don't want to be announcing pitchers until the early a.m. on Tuesday. I'm not sure why that is, but how do you view the National League wildcard race? Because I still go back to last year when the Phillies and the Brewers were going at it. It felt like neither of those teams wanted that final playoff spot. And I feel like we might be seeing a little bit of deja vu with the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Chicago Cubs, with the San Francisco Giants. You got a lot of teams that they aren't necessarily lighting it up. And at least one of these teams, Miami Merlins as well, they are going to be making the playoffs. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting spot that these teams have found themselves in. I mean, you look at the Dimebacks, they're fifth worst over the last 10 games in terms of runs scored. And the Cubs are the bottom two, tied for last, actually, in all Major League Baseball themselves. Where's that pitching that we were relying on with the Cubs in terms of Justin Steele and Kyle Hendricks and whoever else he decided to throw out there? Even Jordan Wicks had an issue with hard contact. So the Cubs really need their offense to pick up where it was when they were storming back into this race. Or I think the Reds even the Giants, even the Diamondbacks. The Reds are having back speak. as well. I didn't even mention them. Yeah, yeah. The Reds are, everybody's in this race. Even the Padres have a crazy outside look if everything goes right. It's just a weird nationally wild card. And this is why baseball over the last half of September is so freaking fun every single year. Oh, I'm right there with you. And how do you view this Red Sea? Because, I mean, I have pretty much just left them for dead, but they're half a game out of the National League wildcard picture as we do this. They're currently playing their game against the Minnesota Twins for Monday, and they're actually in the lead in that game as we do this show as well. And I mean, with the Reds, I'm not sure how they're doing it. Hunter Green has recently come off the injured list. They have been without a lot of their key pieces in that pitching rotation and in that lineup as well. They were without Jonathan India for the longest time. Matt McClain is currently out of the fold. Nick Lodolo, if you're looking from a pitching staff perspective, he's out and they've been mixing and matching with young guys that somehow, some way with Ellie De La Cruz hitting below 200 since the All-Star break. They're, as we do this podcast, a half a game out of that wildcard spot. They might be tied for it when this podcast uploads. And 
I don't think that they're going to be able to make the playoffs, but I mean, as we just mentioned, it's so crazy right now that they could make the playoffs. Yeah, especially when you look at their, who's on the IL for them right now. It's Matt McClain, it's Harrison Bader, it's TJ Antone, guys who are significant pieces for this lineup. And then you even look at, you know, Hunter Green, or like you said, Nick Lodolo, who have been hurt this year as well. They are dealing with so much adversity. They're not really putting up that many runs. It just feels like one of those magical teams that somehow grits it out and finds a way to sneak a, a bid to the playoffs. And man, yeah, you said it. it's the seventh inning right now. They're at four to two against the twins and they're just a fun team right now. Oh, it's just so befuddling to take a look at this because I mean, yeah, take a look at this Cincinnati Reds team and you know, the roster itself does not scream, oh, this is a playoff team or anything like that. And I mean, you give credit where credit is due. These young guys have been able to step up, but man, that is so interesting to take a look at it. I mentioned the Miami Marlins as well, a team that has went 29 and 12 in one-run games, how do you evaluate this team? Because now they've got a series coming up against the New York Mets in which they should be able to win this series. If they don't, they are their own worst enemy for not being able to make the playoffs. But at some point, that one-run luck, in my opinion, does have to run out. They've got a negative 37-run differential going into Monday. And I mean, for the Tuesday matchup, Braxton Garrett, I think is a little bit better than Joey Lucchese. But out of all the games in this series, I do think that this could be one of them that the Marlins sub their toe because with Lucchese, he's had a track record of success. And honestly, I felt like he should have gotten more run than he did with the Mets this year. I'm 100% with you. And what's kind of been the crutch of the Marlins all season long was their run production because, you know, they were relying on a really great starting five in terms of the rotation. The lineup was putting up one run, two run, and they were winning two to one or three to two. And it was just like luck has to run out with this team at some point. Now they're kind of hitting in the middle the pack, if not even in that 12 to 13 range over the last 20 games, they do have a lot of youth. They do have a lot of pieces that can generate power and they didn't make trades at the deadline. I'm a believer in the Marlins tentatively. I think I like them a lot better than the D-backs down the stretch here personally. And yeah, this is a team to look out for once they get to the dance, if they do. And then how about if we highlight this team as well, because we do not know who they're going to be throwing against Zach Gallon on Tuesday. Have to think that's Alex Cobb. They skipped his start against the Colorado Rockies. I think that it was a put them up against Zach Allen in a game that they badly need. If they don't do so, then I have to be questioning what is wrong with Alex Cobb, and that's probably sayonara for the San Francisco Giants playoff hopes. But how do you evaluate this team has been so anemic with their bats here in the second half of the season? They've been doing a lot of platooning splits that have worked out for them. It has not worked out for them as much here in the last two or so months, but they're right there in the playoff race due to the fact that they have mixed and match with all their pitching. Yeah, and once again, this is a team where the bats have come alive. I mean, they're a top 10 hitting team over the last 20 games. They're playing in Oracle Park, so there has to be some even positive regression that we could maybe expect over the next couple weeks even you know the Giants yeah I'm not really enamored with how their pitchers sort of line up against the top arms in the major league baseball but their offense right now if they're on the road they have a legit chance to really just outscore opponents which is so weird when we're talking about the Giants because two months ago this team could not score runs to save their life you know what going to Coors Field that is also going to do that for you as well because as we know that's (laughs) a little bit of a hitter's haven out there but when it comes to what we've all got on the call, what we've all got on the baseball front for Tuesday, is there anything that you do have your eye on that we have yet to discuss? Whether that's a game that you're going to be betting on, or maybe it's not a game that you're going to be betting on, but there's just big implications that you want to see how this team is rounding into form going into the postseason. Yeah, you know, Luis Castillo is back to perform and really pitching like one of the best pitchers in baseball, if not in that top three candidacy wise. And the Mariners laying a run and a half here at minus one eighteen. 
is definitely intriguing despite their offensive struggles because they are on the road. They have a guy who could blank the A's over seven innings pitched, and Paul Blackburn has been an absolute disaster, especially as of late. If the Mariners are going to wake up offensively down this backstretch, it has to start here, and they have to make this a convincing winner. Yep, I'm right there with you. And for Paul Blackburn, he's actually had a very nice season thus far. The total of seven and a half, I recognize that it's very, very low, but I do think that it is warranted in this spot. Don't know if I can quite get there on an under, especially if this drops down to a seven, which I'm seeing at a few books. But I do like the way that Blackburn has pitched. But with Luis Castillo being backed up by that bullpen, I do agree with you there. I think that he should be able to put on a little bit of a master class, just like you do day in and day out, my friend. Rob, you do such an amazing job taking a look at the great game of baseball. I know you're getting ramped up for what is going to be a tremendous college basketball season. You do a great job with football as well. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Thank you, Greg, for having me on. I always love this show more than anything else I go on, to be honest. And I love getting to talk ball with you. And if you do want to tune into the bets that I'm placing day after day, you can follow my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Rob Donaldson. You can follow me on X at Rob DFB. Really, that's the two havens I have kind of settled into are located. So if you do want to bet what I'm betting, Take a look at those, and I appreciate you guys. Always appreciate Rob jumping on. He does an incredible job taking a look at the game of baseball, taking a look at football, basketball, you name it. He does it, and every single time he joins this podcast, gives out some great picks and lends tremendous insights. Big thanks to Rob for joining me on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this Baseball Tuesday as we touch them all. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free... This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of 
seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the Visa Family Podcast. Always great to be joined by Rob Donaldson. He does terrific work over at the show slash podcast, Rob's Best Bets. Go to youtube.com slash Rob Donaldson. Here we'll find all of his amazing work, whether that be Football, baseball, basketball, you name it, he does it. And every single time he joins his podcast, he lends tremendous insight. So, big thanks to Rob for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this Baseball Tuesday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. You note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at gnet underscore 81, and we are going to be going in the last exhortation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, any interleague games. Those are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So, without further ado, let's dive in on this first game. It is... 901-902 on the betting board. You've got the New York Mets, and they are on the road. They are facing off against the Miami Marlins. Braxton Garrett goes for the fish, and Joey Lucchese is on the bump for the Mets, and the Mets are the underdog of between plus 140 and plus 148. Meanwhile, between minus 154 to minus 166 is your number on Miami. Eight is the total. The under is between minus 110 to a minus 120. The over is anywhere between even a minus 110. And with regards to the fish, I've set them at a minus 146. At a plus 146 or higher, I was willing to take a shot on the Mets. I am seeing a plus 147 out there. That is pretty much my minimum buy point, but it is a buy point for me. Joey Lucchese, I just don't understand why he hasn't gotten more opportunities this year with how bad the Mets have been and how hopeless this team has been. He's actually been a little bit of a bright spot for this team, for Joey Lucchese. Got a 283 ERA, recognized that the fielding independent is a 449, but that's still a better fielding independent than some of these other schlubs for the Mets have had. They have had some really bad pitching all season long, and he's honestly been okay. He only gets right around six strikeouts per nine innings. Throughout his career, that has been significantly higher. I think part of that is the small 35-inning sample size. I don't think that he's been as good this year as his career nine strikeouts per nine innings, but still, respectable pitcher, even at the minors, he had... About a 440 ERA now. He did miss pretty much much of last season due to injury and has been off and on injured last few seasons. But still, I do take a look at Joey Lucchese and I like what I'm seeing here. Meanwhile, for Braxton Garrett, he's actually been far worse when he has been at home rather than on the road now. There was one start against the Atlanta Braves earlier this year that just completely derailed him. He gave up like 11 runs in four innings. He should not have been out there that long. And if you take a look at the fielding independent, it's actually better than his ERA. 362 fielding independent, 367 ERA. Comes in in pretty solid form. Haven't given up a combined two runs over the course of the last three starts. But still, it is a little bit off-putting when you've got a home ERA of a 482 and a road ERA of a 252. At home, he's been giving up right in the neighborhood about 1.6 home runs 
per nine innings on the road. This is more around 0.6 home runs per nine innings. So it's been a little bit befuddling. And for the Miami Marlins, this team has been able to thump a little bit more of that series against the Atlanta Braves. Really was able to get them online. And now you've got back at the full door, Ace Solaire, who's been able to pound out 35-plus home runs, giving you about a 340 on base. But Luis Arias, even though he was able to get three home runs in that series against the Atlanta Braves, Overall, since the beginning of the month of August, has been hardly getting above a 250. You do have the likes of Brian Taylor Cruz, who have been relatively solid, but you've got the likes of Joey Wendell, Jacob Sellings at the bottom of fold that have been a little bit of a hindrance for this bunch because with the Miami Marlins, they have been a top seven team all season long with regards to batting average a lot of that thanks to Luis Arise, but I have noticed that with regards to just runs per game, they have been a bottom three team in the National League all season long. With this regard, they have been able to get a little bit more out of Josh Bell, giving you a home run every about 14 or so at bats. Jake Berger, ever since he joined the fold for the team as well, he's been able to hit a little bit north of 300, so do like what I'm seeing there. But all in all, I do think that this is a Miami Marlins team that's going to have a little bit of a tough time scoring, even though the Mets they have been a bit rough with their bullpen as well. You've had Brooks Raley be able to give you some 3-5 ERA, and Adam Montevino has been able to do a terrific job all season long, but you've had the topsy-turviness, to say the least, of something like a Drew Smith buzzing up a 4 ERA. Trevor Codd has been leaving a whole like fly of something to be desired as well, so you do have your issues when it comes to this bullpen, but I mean, on the flip side for the Miami Marlins, you've got your issues with that bullpen as well. David Robertson, the former Met, has a 6 ERA since he's come over from Miami. You do have the likes of Tanner Scott, Andrew Nardi, George Soriano giving you a sub-3-5 ERA, but Stephen Okert has been acting up a little bit as well, so got your ups and downs there. And for the Mets, this team has been one of the bottom teams in the big leagues with regards to batting average, but Pete Alonso slugging out 35 home runs on the road. His on-base percentage is about 30 to 35 points higher than it is at home. He's been able to supply about a 350 on-base when he has been on the road in New York. Does play in one of the more pitcher-friendly ballparks they're going to find in the big leagues. They're averaging more like 4.6 runs per game on the road, more like 4.3 runs per game when they are at home. Now, Miami, obviously, very much a pitcher's ballpark as well in terms of home runs surrendered. This has been one of the lowest ballparks with regards to the amount of home runs that it has yielded. But I do think that for the Mets, being able to get north of a plus 145, that is relatively solid value with the way that Braxton Garrett has struggled at home. So, circumstance where I did sell my total at an 8.2, going to be taking a look at the over. And with the Mets, we'll take plus 146 or higher on them. 903-904 on the betting board. The Philadelphia Phillies, they are on the road facing off against the Atlanta Braves. As Spencer Schneider goes for the Bravos. And Christopher Sanchez is on the bump for the Phillies. The Phillies are the underdog of anywhere between plus 185 to a plus 194. Anywhere between minus 215 to a minus 225. Your number on the Atlanta Braves. If you are taking a look at that run line, if you find that more around a minus 110, and 9 is the total, the under is minus 115, and the over is minus 105. I did need at least a plus 205 to be able to take a shot on the Phillies, and with the Braves, I set their run line at a minus 111. I am not willing to lay anything more than the minus 110 that I am seeing, but the minus 110 that I am seeing, I am going to be willing to lay that with Spencer Schrader. Certainly has been a case where... He has been a bit of an all-or-nothing pitcher. Either he goes out there and he delivers a gem like he did the last time around. Last time he faced off against the Philadelphia Phillies. And recency does play a little bit of a role here. He gave up one run in seven innings against the Philadelphia Phillies. Was able to do a masterful job against them. Though something that we have seen a lot of this year is you dominate a team the first time around and then the second time around. They get you and they get you pretty good. So... And it's something to watch out for if you're looking at Strider in terms of his 
fielding independent versus his ERA. He's got one of the top fielding independents that you're going to find in all of baseball. It's a 283 that actually leads all qualifying National League starters because of his 13.8 strikeouts per nine innings, but has been giving up a little bit over a home run per nine innings and has given up four plus runs in two out of his last three games with a lot of his issues coming at home. For Spencer Strider at home, he's posting up a 433 ERA compared to a 317 ERA on the road. This is a little bit more of a hitter's ballpark, but you do have Christopher Sanchez, who has also been allowing the deep ball, which and it's always a recipe for disaster when you're going up against this bunch in the Atlanta Braves that have so many guys that are able to manage the ball. For Sanchez, giving up 1.4 home runs per nine, and he says, done a really good job of being able to keep the walks down. 1.4 walks, eight and a half strikeouts per nine, and he's 340 ERA compared to a 403 fielding event. But the last time he went up against the Atlanta Braves, even though he was able to get an above average 10 strikeouts for him, he did allow four runs in that affair, so something that you certainly want to be mindful of. And for the Atlanta Braves, they have Ronald Cunha Jr. back in the fold after he was dealing with a little bit of an ailment towards back half of the series against the Miami Marlins. He is trying to go for a 40-60 and 60 season. Then you've got Ozzie Albies, Austin Riley, Matt Olson, Marcelo Zuna, all with at least 31 home runs. All of these guys, really aside from Albies, it's giving you north of a 335 on base. All of these guys have been hitting above a 265. And, and you just take a look at the lineup they th- threw out there yesterday. Everyone entered in the game for the Atlanta Braves, hitting at least a 264. Your low man with regards to on base was Eddie Rosario with a 317 and a 473 slugging. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous what this team is able to throw out there, though. For the Philadelphia Phillies, since August 2nd, this team has been averaging darn near six runs per contest. They're giving you two home runs per game. I mean, yesterday you had Rojas, who was the guy that went deep. Jose Rojas, who's been able to do a nice job hitting a 300 for the team. And you've got overall balance with regards to this lineup as well. As you only had two guys in the starting lineup yesterday for the Philadelphia Phillies that entered into the game hitting below a 270 with one of those guys being Kyle Schwarber. And he's got a 346 on base with north of 40 home runs. I believe he has more home runs than he does singles this far this season. The other is JT Remuto has had a little bit of a struggle, but I mean, for Trey Turner, what he's been able to do recently has been nothing short of remarkable for this team as he's been able to slug out a home run in 11 out of his last 18 games overall. Bryce Harper, he had just three home runs in the first 58 games of the season. He has been able to come on very strong as in now his last, I believe, 57 games, he has been able to give you 14 home runs while being able to provide right around a 400 on base as well. And for both of these teams, they've been pretty equal bullpens here in the second half of the season. For the Atlanta Braves, Rossi Iglesias has been tremendous here in the second half of the season. Kirby Yates, Michael Tonkin, they're able to give you a sub-375 ERA, though Tonkin in the second half of the season has been rough. But you take a look at the second half of the season, you do have A.J. Minter with a sub-2 ERA after he got off to a rough start to the season. Joey Menace has been relatively solid, but for the Philadelphia Phillies, having back Jose Alvarado and his sub-2 ERA, being able to get good production out of Jeff Hoffman, Matt Strom, sub-350 ERAs, and Craig Kimbrell. Looking like the Craig Kimbrell of old, I think that that is going to be big as well. But second time around, for both teams seeing these pitchers, I do think that we are going to be seeing some runs up on the board. I set my total at a 9.2, looking at the over, and I just default a little bit more to the Atlanta Braves in this spot. I'm willing to lay that minus 110 on the run line to go along with the over. 905-906 on the main board. The Pittsburgh Pirates, they're on the road. They're facing off against the Chicago Cubs. That's it is to be determined who is going to be on the bump for the Cubbies, and it is all to be determined who is going to be on the bump for the Buccos. They did not make our job easy. This is a game that is currently off the board. Now, 
With regards to my projections, I've used a combination of Fangraphs, ESPN, CBS Sports, and my own intuition. I think that we get Javier Assad against either Bailey Falter or some sort of poo-poo platter of pitchers that involves Bailey Falter being a little bit of a bulk guy. And if this is the case, I set the Cubs to where I'm going to be willing to lay up to about $2 on this money line. I'd be willing to lay up to about a minus 110 with regards to that run line. And I did set my total at 10.6. 10 and a half or less, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. And 11 or higher, I'm going to be taking a look at the under. And the bigger reason why I've got such a high total on this game, despite the fact that and for lack of a better term, you got the Pittsburgh Pirates in this game, and they have been pretty miserable on offense. If you take a look at the wind for this game, it is currently blowing out, and it looks like it's going to be blowing out pretty heavy. It looks like the winds for this game are going to be right around 10 miles per hour blowing out. You could be seeing them higher than 12 miles per hour when it's all said and done towards back half of this game. So that is going to be very much helping out the hitters. You've got a Pittsburgh Pirates team that... They've gotten now back in the fold Henry Davis, which is going to be critical for a lineup that just has not been able to provide a lot of power whatsoever. Jack Swiniski has been the high man with regards to home runs. He's been able to hit 25 this season. Really has been brutal in the second half of the season. Things are looking a little bit better for him recently as he's been able to get three home runs over the last 13 games for the team. He's been giving about a 350 on base over the last three days. So things are starting to look a little bit better there, but still. Plus, all-star break, he's been hitting right around the middle of the line about a 200, so you certainly would love to be, see, be seeing a little bit of a better effort there. Brian Reynolds has been good for this team as well. He's able to give you 20-plus home runs, has been able to do a very solid job on that front. And you do have someone in Avier Assad that he is doing for some regression. We did see a little bit of that in his last start against the Colorado Rockies, but Javier Assad, this guy has been very lucky to get out of some of the situations that he has. 310 ERA with a 449 fielding dependent, 6.7 strikeouts to 3.6 walks per nine innings. Now, I will say, he's been a little bit more sharp as a starter rather than towards the beginning part of the season because he was really able to ascend towards the back half of when he was a bullpen beast, which landed him a bunch of starts. That really started up in the month of August. He has made eight starts since the beginning of the month of August, fielding independent. 466, 296 ERA. He's been able to keep the ball in the yard, giving up about 1.2 home runs per nine innings, even with the wind blowing out. I don't know if he necessarily gives up a lot of deep balls, but I do think that with someone like Kiko Brian Ace coming on, being able to hit about a 265 for the team, that is going to be big. And he does get the advantage of going up against guys like I was mentioning. Davis is back and full, but he, Lovar Piguero, Joshua Palacios, Andy Rodriguez. I mean, all these guys really, aside from Rodriguez, Rain below a 225 with a sub 300 on base. So these guys have not really come to the forefront. Alfonso Rivas has had his ups and downs as well. And he's going to be backed up by a Chicago Cubs lineup then when they do not have Patrick Wisdom out there in the fold. Pretty much everyone with regards to the starting nine in their lineup is able to give you at least a 310 on base and got a nice balanced power team as Cody Bollinger is your main man. He's been able to hit 25 home runs, hitting above a 300 on base percentage, offering right in the neighborhood about a 355. But, I mean, when you get past him, you've got Patrick Wisdom, Ian Apps, Say Suzuki, Christopher Morrell, all these guys between 18 and 23 home runs. Past that, the power is not necessarily there, but you've got someone like Nico Horner who gives you about a 345 on base, 285 batting average. Ian App doesn't necessarily hit like. I mean, 300 or anything like that, but he still gives you in the neighborhood about a 360 on base. So these guys have done a really solid job there. And for the Chicago Cubs and the Pittsburgh Pirates, both of these bullpens have been right around the top 10 in the league ever since the beginning of the month of July. Ever since Jose Quas has gotten in the fold, recognize that 
He's been a little bit more shaky recently for the Cubs, but all in all, in a Cubs uniform, he's providing about a 3.50 ERA. Julian Merriweather, Mark Leiter Jr., these guys have been able to do a solid job, so even without Edward Alzelay, I think that they're going to be fine in this circumstance. Meanwhile, for the Pittsburgh Pirates, credit where credit is due. You do have David Benar, who's been a tremendous closer, but on top of that, the likes of Colin Holderman, Ryan Baruki, Carmen Moldazinski, they've been able to give you a sub-3-3 ERA, but... I do think that with the wind howling out, and most likely you're getting Bailey Falter, who doesn't give up a lot of walks, but he gives up a lot of hard contact. That should lead to quite a bit of a scoring fest. So if you do get Assad versus Falter, I would be willing to lay up to a minus 110 with the guards at Cubs run line. I would need at least a plus 205 to take a look at the Pirates. I set my money line at a minus 204 on the Cubs. And then with the guards, the total 10.5 or less, we'll be looking at the over, and an 11 or higher, we'll be looking at the under. 907, 908 on the bang board. It is the Milwaukee Brewers. They are on the road. They're facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals. We do know that Drew Rahm is going to be getting the start for the Cardinals, but once again, they didn't do us a lot of favors. It's all to be determined for the Milwaukee Brewers, so this game is off the board. And it's looking like Adrian, don't come, Doogie Elzer should be in line for the start. He last started on Thursday, so he would be on normal rest. And if you do get old Elzer versus Drew Rahm, I'd set the Brewers on a minus 133 on the money line. And I'd be making my total to wear a 9 or less. We'll be looking at the over 9.5 higher to the under. Not going to go in overly much on Hauser because he is not yet confirmed. But with Adrian Hauser, he's been doing a much better job giving up more than a walk fewer per 9 innings this season. He's been able to do a better job upping his swing and miss off. I actually like what I've seen out of Adrian Hauser this year. And for Drew Rahm, he's just right now a pitcher that is very hard to back. He's coming off of a really nice start against Baltimore. He gave up no runs at five and a third innings. Really, the creme de la creme start from because he has had five starts at the big league level thus far. He's given up three plus runs in three of them. He has had three of these starts in which he has had five strikeouts or fewer. If you take a look at him overall, 5.2 walks to 7.1 strikeouts. For nine innings, the 5.96 ERA is backed up by a 5.69 fielding independent. You go back to the minor league level, he was getting about 11 strikeouts per nine innings, but about four and a half walks per nine innings. And part of the reason why I think they had so much success with regards to that start against the Baltimore Orioles is that I believe he was a part of that Jack Flaherty trade, so he actually had good familiarity with regards to a lot of the Baltimore Orioles he was going up against. He's not going to be having that with the Milwaukee Brewers, a Brewers team that. It's been feast or famine with regards to their lineup all season long. They have been a bottom team in the National League with regards to overall batting average, but they've now got guys that are able to get on base. William Contreras, Sal Freelich, Mark Canna, all give you between about a 360 to a 370 on base. They are dealing with currently an ailment to Christian Yelich. He's been able to give you a double-figure amount of homers and just in general. It's done a good job being able to move the line for the team, but good news for the Brewers is that William Thomas is really starting to come into his own over the last three days going into yesterday. About a 363 on base, pounding out six home runs, which I mean that's a little bit above average for him, but overall for the year has led the team with 24 home runs. But I mean for the season, his on base percentage is more around to 300, so that's been big. I don't know if I'm willing to trust some guys like Joey Weimer, Josh Donaldson, Bryce Terang, Tyrone Taylor, these guys at the bottom full with a sub 300 on base, selling a 230 or lower. That's a little bit of an issue, but for Carlos Santana, in a Milwaukee Brewers uniform. He's been able to do some nice things for this team as well. The Brewers have made some shrewd moves that have been paying off very nicely. As for Santana, he's getting a home run every about 17 or so at-bats for the Brewers. 
Think about it, 235 with about a three timeout base. Not amazing numbers, but it gets the job done when you've got a Brewers team that is right now number one with regards to the National League in terms of bullpen area overall for the season. You've got a big four for this team. Abner Uribe, Devin Williams, the closer, Joe Pyams, Toby Milner. They've all been able to give you a sub-265 ERA for the Cardinals. Ryan Elsley is right now the only guy in that bullpen with a sub-4 ERA. When you go to Andre Pallante, Drew Verhagen, guys like this, Kyle Lee, it's been relatively rough now for the Cardinals. You still have a lineup that has been able to mash in the month of September. This has been one of the better scoring teams in the National League, but now they are dealing with the injury to Nolan Gorman. He and Arenado were both giving between about 26 to 28 home runs. That's an issue now. Wilson Contreras, the brother of William Contreras, on the flip side, he's been giving you darn near 400 on base since the All-Star break. Paul Goldschmidt continues to move lining at 275, about a 365 on base as well. But I do take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals team, and I do think that they're going to be up against it if they are going up against Adrian Hauser, what I think would be a little bit of a higher scoring game. In Rom versus Hauser, set the Brewers where I'm willing to lay up to a minus 132 on that money line. Need at least plus 134 to take a shot on the Cardinals. Nine or less, look at the over nine and a half higher to the under. Will probably be a similar number if you see someone like Cullen Ray or something of that nature with regards to the Brewers. 909-910 on the bang board. The San Francisco Giants. They are on the road. They are going to be facing off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Zach Gallen is on the bump for the Diamondbacks. It's old to be determined who is going to be on the bump for the Giants. This game is off the board. It should be Alex Cobb in this spot. I know that the Giants, they skipped Alex Cobb's last start against the Colorado Rockies, so that way he'd be good to go for this series. And assuming we get Mr. Cobb going up against Zach Allen, I would be setting the Diamondbacks at a minus 154 on the money line and would be making my total to where an 8 or less, I'd be taking a look at the over an 8.5 prior to the under. I'd be very surprised if we do not get Alex Cobb. And if you do get Alex Cobb, He's not necessarily overly much of an upgrade as compared to a bullpen game because with Cobb, he is a very demonstratively good home pitcher and he's rough on the road. He's essentially a poor man's version of Zach Gallen in that he has a buck 95 home ERA and he's got a 5.26 ERA on the road. With Cobb, he has given up about 1.5 home runs per nine innings when he is on the road at home, more like 0.7 home runs per nine innings. And then with Mr. Zach Gallen, 218 home ERA, 4.68 ERA on the road at home. 0.6 home runs allowed per nine innings on the road. More like 1.3 home runs given up per nine innings. And for Gallon, credit where credit is due. He's given up fewer than two walks per nine innings, both across his home and road starts as far this season. He has been very good when he's been in Arizona. The reason why he's not going to win the Cy Young is because he has been acting up on the road. And if you do have a trepidation with Arizona in the spot, it is the fact that the bullpen, it just continues to be very rough for this team. Got the likes of Luis Frias, Scott McGough, Joe Mantiply. Go down the list of these guys that are posting up north of a 4-2-5 ERA. It's not necessarily so great for the Arizona Diamondbacks. 22nd in the league with regards to bullpen ERA since the beginning of the month of July. So you do have your issues there for the San Francisco Giants. They're 13th in that time span. But if you take a look at a little bit of a larger sample size since the beginning of the month of May, the Giants are in the top two in the big leagues. With regards to bullpen ERA, you've had both of the Rodgers brothers, John Brevia, your closer and Camilo Duvall, Luke Jackson, all these guys be able to supply a sub-3-5 ERA. The big issue that you've got with the Giants is that ever since the All-Star break, this has been one of the most anemic offenses that we've seen in quite some time as Wilmer Flores has been able to do a great job giving you 14 home runs, hitting a 300 ever since the All-Star break. But since the break, the team is sitting at 230 with a 3.06 on Mason. Only reason why it's this high is because they... You had to spend the weekend out in Colorado against 
the Rockies and Coors Field. So that's something that's a little bit less than savory as you've had so many guys struggle for the team in the second half of the season. You've got Blake Sobel, Patrick Bailey, J.D. Davis, Austin Slater, Mitch Haniger, Brandon Crawford. You just go down the list of guys providing less than a 300 on base, providing seven home runs or fewer. For Davis, he's got seven home runs. He, along with Wilmer Flores, the only guys who have been able to give you north of six home runs. But it's also a break. And for the Giants, they're not hitting righties. They're not hitting lefties. It's been a tough state of affairs there. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, we have seen them go down the toilet bowl a little bit with their offense in the second half of the season. Hitting at 241 with a 316 on base ever since the All-Star break. You've had Christian Walker be able to pound out 12 home runs since the All-Star break, but he has really went cold with bat. You take a look at him over the last 15 days. A 242 on base, one home run over the course of his last 13 to 14 games. So that has been less than terrific and space it out a little bit further. The last 30 days, just two home runs and less than a 300 on base. You still have guys like Lourdes Gurriel, Corbin Carroll, Ketel Marte. These guys have been able to give you between 21 and 24 home runs with Carroll. It's been one of the best base healers in the big leagues. It's been a little bit up and down post-all-star break. You can tell that he is dealing with a few ailments, so something that you want to be taking a look at. But the bottom of the fold has been letting this team as, down as well as Geraldo Perdomo, Alec Thomas, Nick Ahmed, Evan Longoria. All these guys post-all-star break. And at 235 or lower other than Longoria, you really don't have a lot of pop with any of these guys in the lineup as well. So you do have concerns there with the Arizona Diamondbacks, but certainly I do think that whether it's Alex Cobb or whether it's a poo-poo platter of pitchers, they get to him a little bit more, and I think that Zach Gallen continues to be good at home. So assuming we do get Cobb versus Gallen, I set the Diamondbacks to where I'm willing to lay up to a minus 153 on the money line. would need at least plus 132 to lay a run and a half with them, and then Adel Loss looking at the over 8.5 prior to the under would upgrade the Diamondbacks a little bit if it's a bullpen game for the Giants, but probably not as much as you might think because of Cobb's home and road split. Sign 11-9-12 on the main board. It is the San Diego Padres, and... They're going to be playing out to the Colorado Rockies. It is Blake Sell is going to be on the bump for the Padres and the Colorado Rockies. I want to be determined, so this game is off the board. With the Rockies, I was seeing before Connor Siebold might be making this start. Right now, I just have this listed as bullpen game, and with the Padres, I'm willing to lay up to about a minus 150 to a minus 155 on this run line, and I set the Padres start near a $3 favorite with a total to wear a 7 or less. Looking at the over 7.5 or higher to the under end. Quite frankly, I think that the Padres get darn near all the runs in this game as you got a Colorado Rockies team that they're averaging about 3.7 runs per game on the road this season. Watch, this is a time where Blake Snell, in each out of his last 21 starts, has given up three runs or fewer. He's given up two runs or fewer in all but two of those starts. Of course, this will probably be the time where he absolutely implodes. He's got a sub-150 ERA in the science fan. The fielding independent is about double that, but I mean, for Blake Sell, right now leads the National League with regards to ERA to 243. He's given up the fewest hits per nine innings. So has the concerns with the walks, giving up five walks per nine innings. But his last start against the LA Dodgers, six scoreless innings, only walking one. I think they only gave up one hit in that start as well. That was arguably his biggest masterpiece of the entire season. And for the Colorado Rockies, who's going to be able to hit him for this team? I mean... You've been able to get a double-figure amount of homers out of Ryan McMahon, but the Colorado Rockies, they don't hit on the road to start with. Now they have to go to 
Petco to play during a nighttime game where the ball does not travel in. That seems like a recipe for disaster. You've got Elias Diaz, Ezekiel Tovar, Nolan Jones between 14 and 16 home runs. And to the credit of Jones, he does have north of a 335 on base when he's on the road. But you take a look at someone like an Elias Montero, and he's been hitting about a 245 overall this season. If you look at him at home, though, 364 on base on the road, 225. And you've got a few guys like that for the Colorado Rockies. Now, the reason why I'm willing to take it over on a 7 or less is because the Colorado Rockies, ERA, since the beginning of the month of August in the bullpen, it is hovering right around 7. Daniel Bard is no longer in the full because he was just completely pooptastic for the team in the second half of the season. Justin Lawrence, ever since the All-Star break, he has been supplying an ERA that is north of 6. You've seen Tyler Kinley post up north of 5-5 ERA in this time span. Brent Suter has become a little bit less effective. Jake Bird has been having his issues. It's just rampant with the team. And where the Padres shouldn't die, need to dive in on this bullpen a ton. They've been right around about a league average bullpen recently. Josh Hader has been an incredible closer. And Tom Cosgrove, a sub-2 ERA. You've had your issues with likes of a Robert Suarez, Ray Kerr, guys like this. And now they're throwing Rich Hill out of the bullpen. That's not something that you want any part of. But I do think that the Padres should be able to get to this. Just poo-poo platter of pitchers that you're figuring to get with the Rockies if it's Connor Siebold. He's been absolutely terrible as well. He doesn't need a lot of mentioning because, man, rough for him. North of a 6 ERA, but Juan Soto, Manny Machado, they're up to 60 home runs as far as the season. Soto has had his issues in the second half of the season, especially since the beginning of the month of August, but feels like he's starting to pick it up with that multi-home run game that he was able to get over the weekend. You do want to see these guys at the bottom of the fold like a Michael Batten, like Eddie Rosario, you're able to throw in there Matt Carpenter when you had him on the fold, Rude Adodor, Brett Sullivan, these guys hitting a 220 or lower. They've been trying to mix and match. They had Ben Gamble for a little bit of time, and that wasn't really working out. So that has been not allowing the Padres to be able to score a lot of runs. But as we know, in Petco, it is a little bit more of a pitcher's ballpark as well, and that is a big reason why you do have such a demonstrative home and road split with regards to the amount of runs that the Padres are putting up there. I think right around five runs per game on the road, more like 4.25 runs per game at home. But going up against a sad pitching against the Colorado Rockies, I do think that they should be able to hang some runs. So seven or less, so could add the over seven and a half prior to the under. And with the Padres, one lay between about a minus 150 to a minus 155 on this run line. I would need about plus $3 to take a shot on the Rockies. 9-13, 9-14 on the betting board. It is the LA Angels, and they are on the road facing off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Tosh Bradley goes for the Rays, and Patrick Sandoval is on the bump for the Angels. Angels find themselves as underdogs, and he will be plus 180 and plus 187. Meanwhile, between minus 207 to minus 220 is your number on the Rays. 8 to 8.5 is a total on the 8. Over between minus 110 to a minus 120. The unders any between even a minus 110. Seeing straight 8.5. Under is minus 120. The over is even. And with regards to that race, run line, find that between minus 102 and a plus 102. And with the race, was one away up to a minus 105 with regards to this run line. Would not want to be going much more than the relative pick and price that we're seeing in the market. But I am willing to go with this relative pick em slash very, very, very small plus number that I'm seeing on the race run line. With Taj Bradley, he's had his issues this season, to say the least, especially at home. But for Taj Bradley, he's able to get a lot of strikeouts. And he's going up against a... LA Angels team that's just a shell of itself. No Mike Trout, no Shoy Otani, no Anthony Rendon. I think that the Tello boy is out for the season, and for Bradley, he's been doing for some positivity all season long. 556 ERA, but a 461 fielding dependent. He's been able to get 11.7 strikeouts for nine innings. Has really been hurt by the deep ball as he has given up right around about 1.9 home runs 
for nine innings. But I mean, who for the LA Angels, really other than Brandon Drury, is able to take you yard. Brandon Drury has been able to give you 20-plus home runs. He's been able to do a relatively solid job for the team. But Hunter Renfro got put on waivers a few weeks ago. You've got Randall Gritchick, who's still giving you a pretty honest effort as well. But, I mean, man, they're calling up so many young guys. Brett Phillips is right now getting meaningful at-bats for this team. That's not something that you want to be seeing. They are really just left for dead with this lineup. They're trying to get Joe Adele a couple of reps. Logan O'Hoppy is someone that has been robbed by injury this year. Eduardo Escobar has went down the toilet bowl as well. So it's a really rough-hitting team. Meanwhile, for the Tampa Bay Rays, since the beginning of the month of August, and really, if you zone it out even more, ever since Wander Franco has been out of the fold, that happened on August 13th or so, so you've got about a 35-day sample size. The team has been putting up right around about five and a half runs per contest, and even with Wander Franco out, even with Jose Siri out of the fold as well, because Siri dealing with that injury, they still have seven different guys that will be able to give you at least 18 home runs as far as the season, all but one of those guys has been able to hit at least a 248. Isak Paredes has done a great job of being able to hit righties. He's got 29 home runs as far as the season. 25 of them have come against righties, so you do have a little bit of an issue with the fact that Patrick Sandoval is a lefty, but I mean, with Patrick Sandoval, he's got his issues as well. We're going to get into that in a second, but I do think that it is really interesting to take a look at this Tampa Bay Rays team and the way that they have been functioning on offense recently as against lefties. Not as much power, but they do provide as a collective about a 330 in terms of their on-base, and then with Patrick Sandoval, he's just trying to limit her contact at this point. His strikeout numbers are way down this year. He's only been able to get 7.8 strikeouts per 9 innings. He's getting 4.3 walks per 9 innings. The fielding advantage of 410 is actually much lower than the 448 ERA, but I mean, it's just been a very strange delivery for him, to say the least. He has given up at least five runs in four out of his last five starts, but this needs a little bit of a disclaimer because he has given up unearned runs in three out of his last five starts, and not just a few unearned runs. He has given up a grand total of 10 unearned runs in his last five starts. This fielding has completely let him down, and a pitch-to-contact guy that is relying upon... Being able to keep the ball in the yard, this is doomsday for him. And he's backed up by a bullpen that has, like, Jose Marte, Jimmy Harrigan, Jonathan Diaz, guys like this that are all supplying north of a 4 ERA. Carlos Aceves, he still has an ERA below 4, but he has not been himself this year. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, entering into the series in their last 35 innings pitch, they have a lot of grand total of three earned runs. They have a lot of few unearned runs, but these guys, they're clicking on all cylinders, the likes of Kevin Kelly, Colin Poucher. They currently have Jason Adams out of the fold due to injury, but Pete Fairbanks, even some like Jake Diekman, these guys in a raised uniform have all been able to give you at least a 3-5 ERA or lower. So I do think that this should be some pretty good domination by the race, being able to get them at a minus 105 or better on the run line. I'm going to be willing to ride there. And with regards to this total, I did set it at an 8.1. The Angels, I think, should be able to crank out a little bit of something against Taj Bradley, though I do think that he's going to be seeing an uptick. But with Patrick Sandoval, even if he pitches well, there's no guarantee that the schlubs behind him are going to be able to support him as well. So this is a spot where I am going to be willing to lay the run line of the Tampa Bay Rays. And with regards to this total, seeing mostly eights, going to be willing to take a look at the over personally. Would rather have an eight and a half under rather than an eight over, but the only real eight and a half that I'm seeing is at Circa right now. Want to settle for that minus one ten juice on the eight that I'm seeing. Nine fifteen, nine sixteen is the DK Network right up pick. This is the Toronto Blue Jays. They're on the road. They're facing off against the New York Yankees. Clark Schmidt goes for the Yankees, and Yusei Kikuchi is on the bump for the Blue Jays. And with the Blue Jays, you saw them open up as an underdog actually at even money. Now. 
They're anywhere between the neighborhood of about minus 105 to a minus 112. Anywhere between plus 102 to a minus 105 is your number on the Yankees. Eight and a half is a total. The over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. And certainly I like this a little bit more when I was getting even money with the Blue Jays. But even with this, my DK Network ready to pick. It is on the Blue Jays on the money line. I'm going to be willing to lay up to about a minus 126 with it. With Yusei Kikuchi, we have seen a nice turnaround here in the second half of the season from. He was posting up north of four ERA in the first half of the campaign. He's been able to do a better job of being able to limit hard contact because in the first half of the season, even though the ERA was a little bit higher, the more concerning number was he was giving up 2.1 home runs per nine innings. Post-All-Star break, this is down to 0.6 home runs per nine innings, and he's done a much better job of mitigating walks this year. Last year, he was giving up about 5.1 to 5.2 walks per nine innings. He's cut that in half to more around two and a half walks per nine innings. On the flip side, you've got someone in Clark Schmidt that he is just the whisperer of giving up right around three runs at every single start as Clark Schmidt has allowed three runs or fewer in 21 out of his last 23 starts if you want to extend to long relief appearances in his last 24 appearances. He's allowed three runs or fewer in 22 of them. Not really doing a lot to really rock the boat. He's giving up about 1.3 home runs per nine innings. Eight and a half strikeouts per nine innings. And ever since the beginning of the month of May, because in April he had north of a six ERA. He was giving up deep ball after deep ball. He has been able to mitigate that to more like one home run per nine innings. But strikeout numbers are quite a bit down ever since then. For Schmidt, he's been a little bit better at home than he has been on the road as well throughout the entirety of his career this year. It's been quite a bit better at a 394 home ERA compared to a 527 ERA on the road. But he is giving up about 1.5 home runs per nine innings. Going up against a Blue Jays bunch, it does feel like they're getting a little bit more of their swagger back. You've got Flagger Jr. has been performing quite well recently. He is up to 24 home runs for the season. And you've got a lot of equals with the Toronto Blue Jays as you just have guys that they're able to move the line. If they could just get a little bit more timely hitting, that would be big for them because you've got all these guys with an on-base percentage hovering in the neighborhood about a 322 as high as a 344 with Guerrero Jr. hitting for a 344 on-base. All these other guys between 320 to 340. Boba Shett, Alejandro Kirk, Matt Chapman, Kevon Biggio, Whit Merrifield, Kevin Kiermeyer, all in that fold. They have been dealing with a few ailments throughout the season. And now he's starting to wear down a little bit. Davis Schneider, ever since he got called up to the big leagues, about a 423 on base. He's been able to slug out a home run every about 13 to 14 at-bats. He has given the team a nice breath of life. And you just haven't had that with the New York Yankees. For the Yankees, since June 4th, that was that first game that they played without Aaron Judge when he went down with the injury against the LA Dodgers in that series. The team... Is hitting 10 points lower than any other team in the big leagues with regards to batting average, hitting at 218 as a collective in that time span. They are averaging the second fewest runs per game with only the Oakland A's averaging fewer than the 3.88 runs per contest that they have in that time span. And for the Yankees, they just can't find competent bats to move the line for this team as you've got guys like Estefan Farrell, Anthony Volpe, John Carlos Stanton, Jake Bowers, Oswaldo Cabrera, Oswaldo Peraza, Austin Wells, Ben Roadfit. You go down the list. Other than Florell, all these guys have a sub-300 on base, and all these guys are hitting a 211 or lower. It's been really, really bad. Actually, Cabrera, he's hitting a 218. So we'll give him a little bit of credit. Still below a 300 on base. Now, 
they do have a little bit of power with likes of Volpe, John Carlos Sain, Gleyber Torres between 21 and 25 home runs, and obviously with Aaron Judge, 32 home runs, nearly a 395 on base, he's been able to do his part, but the Blue Jays actually since the beginning of the month of July, they've had the better bullpen as well to the New York Yankees. The Yankees had to make Michael King a starter, so that did deplete them a little bit. He still do have the likes of Juan Peralta, Nick Ramirez, Clay Holmes, guys like this that'd be able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA, but now they're mixing and matching with someone like Zach McAllister coming into the fold. They do get back Ian Hamilton to help them out, but for the Blue Jays, you've been able to get really good production out of some of these guys, like Tim Meza when he's been out there, Jay Jackson, as I believe that he's dealing with an ailment once again. The closer and Jordan Romano, even Jordan Hicks, Eric Swanson, these guys give me a sub-3-6 ERA. Yimi Garcia has been a little bit of a roll of the dice, which has been a little bit harmful for this team, but ever since Genesis Cabrera got to town, he has been quite good with about a 257 ERA as well, so I do think that the Blue Jays are the better hitting team. I think that they've got the better starting pitcher, and right now, they've got the better bullpen, so my DK Network right a pick. That is going to be on the Blue Jays on the money line. I'm willing to lay up to about a minus 125 in this spot. This is my total in 8.3. I think that's going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. Clark Schmidt probably gives up his normal three runs at about five to six innings, and I think that Kikuchi holds down the fort. So, looking at the under my DK Network right up pick, that is going to be on the Blue Jays' money line. 917-918 on the betting board. It is the Cleveland Guardians, and they are on the road facing off against the Kansas City Royals. You've got one Steven Cruz who gets the start for the Royals, and Logan Allen is on the bump for Cleveland. Cleveland, a road favorite of minus 166, plus 140 is your number on the Royals. 9.5 is your total. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. I fully expect Cruz to be nothing more than an opener for Alec Marsh, as we have actually seen this a few times. The Royals have been utilizing an opener for Alec Marsh. He comes in, and for Alec Marsh, he actually has been a little bit better when an opener has come in for him, but... That said, I did set this to where I was willing to lay on the money line up to about a minus 167 with the Guardians, but I have much more interest with regards to the run line as I was willing to lay up to about a minus 105 there, and right now you're finding that at about a minus 105. I don't want to be going much more than the minus 105 that we're seeing right now, but I am going to be willing to lay that. With Alec Marsh, he still has a fielding independent that's north of 6, 618, because he has been giving up the deep ball. 2.2 home runs, 5 walks per 9 innings now. To his credit, he has been able to get 10.5 strikeouts per 9 innings and 3 runs or fewer allowed in 4 out of his last 5 appearances. I do have to preference it with appearances because he's had some starts, he's had some games where he has come out of the bullpen. And if you do take a look at the games in which he has come out of the bullpen, in my opinion, it's been significantly better. They have tried this 6 times, 288 ERA compared to a 764 ERA when he has been a starter. In 8 starts as a starter, he's got an 0-7 record on decision, so... And it's not necessarily been so terrific. And coming out of the bullpen, two home runs allowed in 25 innings, but we know this with the Cleveland Guardians. The way that they are going to be able to get to victory is not necessarily by pounding the deep ball. This is a Cleveland Guardians team that is dead stinking last in the big leagues with regards to home runs. Now, you do have Jose Ramirez, who's been able to give you 24-plus home runs. And Josh Naylor, he's sitting right around 300. He's been able to give you right around 17 to 18 home runs as well. So these guys have been able to do a solid job of pass that. Got Gabriel Urias, who's been able to give you 10 home runs, and that's about it. And the Guardians were able to make the playoffs last year, despite the fact that they didn't have a lot of power. But the biggest reason why is because you have the likes of Will Brandon, Stephen Kwan, Amid Rosario, Andres Menez, Oscar Gonzalez, all those guys hitting north of a 270. As far as the season, out of all of them, one of them is hitting above a 270 in Stephen Kwan. We haven't seen Oscar Gonzalez much at all this season. And with Will Brandon, he's been able to about a 270 or so. But I mean, you have got Ahmed Rosario now on the LA Dodgers. 
A lot of these guys at the catcher spot, what have you, they just have not been able to hit for this team whatsoever. Meanwhile, for the Kansas City Royals, they were able to get things going in the eighth inning against the Cleveland Guardians, but this has been a rough lineup as well. You've got a lot of guys in that fold of about a 224 to, I would say, about a 236. You've got Drew Waters, Nelson Velasquez, Michael Massey, Darion Blanco, MJ Melendez, Nick Prado, Kyle Isabel. I mean, darn near the entirety of the lineup, not named Salvador Perez, but Bobby Wood Jr. Wood Jr. has been able to give you north of 28 home runs. He's been hitting about a 300 since he also breaks Salvador Perez. 20 plus home runs, hitting about a 250 as well. But a lot of these guys are just very basic bats. And for the Royals, it's been a really rough state of affairs with regards to the bullpen. I mean, honestly, Stephen Cruz with his ERA hovering right around about a five or so. He's been one of your better arms as you've got so many guys like Nick Wickran when he's been out there, Jackson Cower, Tucker Davidson. You just go down the list. James MacArthur, all these guys posting up north of a 475 area. And for the Cleveland Guardians, since the beginning of the month of July, this has been a less than terrific bullpen as well. We saw Trevor Steven blow the game yesterday, but Aniel De Los Santos, Emmanuel Clase, Matt Moore, guys like this have been able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA. So I do think that the Guardians should be able to get a better performance out there. And with Logan Allen, he's been able to do quite a good job this season for the team. With Logan Allen, he does give up a few free passes, but has been able to do a nice job of being able to bend, but don't break. 360 ERA. Has been giving up right around three walks per nine innings, but he gives up in the neighborhood about 1.1 home runs per nine innings. Coming off of a pair of starts in which he went five innings, giving up one run against West Coast teams, and he's actually been a little bit better on the road. 323 road ERA compared to a 398 ERA at home on the road. He's given up about 0.8 home runs per nine innings, so you do like to see that. And in his two starts against Kansas City Royals, has allowed four under runs in 10 and two thirds innings. So this is a spot where at the current number would be willing to lay that minus 105 with the Guardians run line. Did set my total at a 9.2 at a 9.5. Just with the Cleveland Guardians with a lack of firepower, I'm going to be taking a look at the under to go along with that run line. 919-920 on the betting board. The Boston Red Sox hit the road face off against the Walker Texas Rangers. As Nathan Evaldi goes for the Rangers and Tanner Oak is on the bump for Boston. Boston's between plus 124 to plus 140 underdogs. Any between minus 145 to a minus 155 is your number on Texas. 8.5 is the total. The over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. And with Texas, I did set them as a Minus 139 favorites of seeing the plus 140. It's the minimum buy point for me on the Boston Red Sox, but it is a buy point for me on the Boston Red Sox. We have seen the Red Sox be able to do a better job of being able to iron out those home and road splits that have been so prevalent for them this season as for the Boston Red Sox. Overall for the season, they're hitting about 35 to 40 points higher when they're at home rather than on the road, but a lot of that was because Jaron Duran was all over the place with regards to some of his splits. You've got Rafael Devers who's been able to do a very solid job of being able to pound home runs on the road as well for Rafael Devers. He's up to 33 home runs this season, and you take a look at what he's been able to do on the road. 20 of those home runs have come on the road. Batting average is down just a little bit. I mean, Tristan Costas out the fold has been earning this team a tad as well, but still have Justin Turner, about a 350 on base, 23 home runs. He's been a little bit better on the road, along with Alex Verdugo as well, who's been able to give you about a 325 on base, hitting about a 270. And the young guys have really been able to step up for this team. Do I think that there's going to be regression with regards to Sedine, Rafael, and him hitting north of a 300? Oh, absolutely darn lootly, but... And with that said, for the Red Sox, they've done a nice job of being able to mix a match with these guys and for the Texas Rangers. Once again, even though Nathan Evaldi is a listed starter, you have to almost be treating this like Nathan Evaldi is going to be an opener plus just because they're trying to build up his strength a little bit and 
he has not been able to go four innings ever since he has gotten off the injury list. So that means that you're going to be probably seeing a poo-poo platter of pitchers from a Rangers bullpen that is in the bottom eight in the big leagues with regards to bullpen here, eh? They've been throwing out their Cody Bryant for quite a bit with him getting a start a couple days ago. I don't think that you're really going to be seeing him. You're probably going to see more Jake Latz, who I know that they were utilizing him as a starter at the minor league level. I believe that he was the first-round pick in like 2016. Not a bad pitcher, but... Same time, not a guy that you want to hit your wagon to. Martin Perez has been seeing a lot of time out of the bullpen. He's posted up north of a 4-5 ERA. He gives up a lot of hard contact. Brock Burke has had his issues. I like Jose Leclerc. He's been able to give you a sub-3-3 ERA. But all in all, I do think that the Red Sox have a little bit of a leg up there, especially with Chris Martin posting up a sub-2 ERA for this team. And then on top of that, you've got the likes of a Josh Winkowski, along with Kenley Jansen, the obvious closer, Brandon Bernardino, these guys giving you a sub-3-5 ERA for the Texas Rangers. Still a pretty fearsome lineup, but having Josh Young out of the fold, Alonso Dolos Garcia, two of your top three home run hitters, that has been very rough for this team. You still have Corey Seager giving you a home run every about 13 to 13 and a half at bats, nearly a 400 base, and then you've got the likes of Mitch Garver, Nathaniel Lowe, Marcus Simeon, these guys in north of 270, 14 plus home runs, Ezekiel Duran certainly fits that as well. You've been able to also have a young guy come up to the big leagues, do a good job of filling in and having Carter, but I do take a look at the spot and being able to get a plus 140 or better with a guy in Tanner Alk that has had some misleading numbers is really standing out to me because with Tanner Alk, if you look at the ERA that hovers right around 5, you're probably thinking, ah, oh, he's not having necessarily the world's greatest year, but I mean, he's been getting quite unlucky this year. 432 fielding independent with that 494 ERA, 8.5 strikeouts, about 3.3 walks per 9 innings, coming off of a really nice 6 scoreless inning start against the New York Yankees, granted, and the New York Yankees have not necessarily been so great recently, but I do look at Tanner Alkin. I do like being able to just get a little bit more length out of him rather than Ethan Ovaldi. So at a plus 140 or higher, looking at the Red Sox on the money line, did sub my total at a 9.3. I certainly do think that runs are going to be plentiful in this game, so we're going to have the over and the Red Sox money line. 921-922 on the betting board. The Baltimore Orioles are on the road facing off against the Houston Astros. Hunter Brown goes for the Astros, and Kyle Gibson is on the bump for Baltimore. Baltimore is currently plus 102 at draft games. Minus 122 is your number on Houston. Nine is the total. Under is minus 112. The over is minus 106. A little bit of a funky number there, but would need at least a plus 132 to take a shot on the Orioles. This seems suspiciously low because I, mean, I feel like I'm down on Hunter Brown, and the big reason why is I was alluding to it with Rob Donaldson when we were chatting. He just gives out way more walks when he's on the road rather than when he's at home. It's really hard to explain because, I mean, it's one thing to be giving up the deep ball a little bit more, but on the road for Hunter Brown, he's giving up right around about 2.1, 2.2 walks per nine innings, and that darn near doubles when he's at home. It's something I really can't explain. That's why his ERA is right around six when he's at home. It's sub four when he's on the road, so that has been a big, giant issue for him. Meanwhile, for Kyle Gibson, he's been a little bit better on the road than he has been at home this far this season as well. Not necessarily deserving of 14 wins, but 474 ERA on the road, 530 ERA at home. And for Gibson, the one thing that he's been able to do a pretty solid job of is being able to keep the ball in the yard. As for Gibson, he's given up about 1.1 home runs per nine innings. That's pretty solid for him. Not too much of a swing and miss, guys. He's only been able to get in that neighborhood about seven half strike. That's a 2.6 walks per nine innings. 413 fielding independent compared to a 498 ERA. If you look at some of the hard hit percentages, probably been a tad bit lucky there. But all in all, I do like what I'm seeing there. But with the Baltimore Orioles, 
This is a lineup where I keep saying it with the seam, and I mean it when I say it. The hole is greater than the sum of its parts. Typically, you'll have Adelie Rushman at the leadoff spot, and he's been able to give you about a 365 on base, so we have been seeing a little bit of Gunnar Henderson at the leadoff spot in the last week or so. And then from there, you got pretty much everyone other than Aaron Hicks, and Hicks, ever since he joined the Baltimore Orioles, is right around about a 372 to a 380 on base, and between about a 315 to about a 335-ish on base. Gunnar Anderson, Anthony Santander, both at right around 27 or so home runs. Both of these guys give me about a 325 on base. Cedric Mullins being back to the fold about a 320 on base. Austin Hayes hitting about a 280 with a 330 on base. Functional power on most of these guys, other than Anderson and Santander, not necessarily great power, but they do a great job as a collective. And then for the Houston Astros, number one scoring team in the American League since the beginning of the month of June, as you've got Jordan Alvarez along Kyle Tucker, both giving you north of a 370 on base, between 27 and 28 home runs apiece. Jose Altuve has been able to give you a 400 on base. You've had Jazz McCormick give you a 360 on base, along with Alex Bregman and Bregman, well above a 400 on base over the last 30 days. After a rough start to the season, he's been able to pick it up. Jeremy Pena has been able to pick it up. Yanir Diaz has given you 20-plus home runs. Very well-rounded team, and these are two pretty equal bullpens right now, Felix Batista being out of the fold. Yanir Cano has been terrific for the Baltimore Orioles, and then you've got Sino Perez, Danny Colum, D.L. Hall giving you a sub-350 here. Right. Meanwhile, for the Houston Astros, you've had some fumbles with regards to the bullpen, but you've got a pair of guys that have been rock solid and have been very solid at the top in Brian Abreu, Hector Neris. They've both been able to give you a sub-2 ERA. And then you've got Ryan Presley, Phil Maton, Kendall Graveman, who have been able to give you a sub-350 ERA as well. So I do take a look at this spot. Recognize that Hunter Brown has had his issues this season, but Kyle Gibson certainly has been giving up quite a few runs as well at the 9. I'd be taking a look at the over semi-tell at a 9.4 and at a minus 132 or less, looking at the answers on the money line. 923-924 on the betting board. The Oakland A's play the Seattle Mariners as Luis Castillo goes for Seattle. And Paul Blackburn walks the plank for Oakland. Oakland is an underdog. You're going to be getting them anywhere between plus 180 to a plus 190. And anywhere between minus 210 to a minus 220 is a money line of the Seattle Mariners. A run line is closer to about a minus 115 to a minus 120. Total on the between 7 and 7.5. On the 7, over is minus 120. The under is even. On the 7.5, under is minus 115. And the over is minus 105. And with the Mariners, I was willing to go up to about a minus 150 with regards to this run line. So I am certainly going to be willing to dive in there. With Paul Blackburn, he's honestly had a nice year thus far. But I just think that he's a little bit overmatched in this circumstance. I do think that we might see a little bit of regression with Paul Blackburn as well. He's been a tad bit lucky with regards to the hard hit percentages. If you take a look on that front, if you look at the fielding independent front, he's honestly been a little bit unlucky as with regards to the FIP, 388 compared to a 414 ERA. Nine strikeouts at 3.6 walks per nine innings, giving up right in the neighborhood about a home run per nine innings, and has done a good job of being able to take advantage of that Oakland ballpark after last year. He posted up like an ADRA at home and like a two ERA on the road. That was one of the more strange things I've really ever seen. Meanwhile, for Luis Castillo, he has had his issues on the road, but I do think that going up against the Oakland A's, one of the more pitcher-friendly ballparks you're going to find in the big leagues, and quite frankly, might be the most pitcher-friendly ballpark that you're going to find in the big leagues, especially during the nighttime when the marine layer is out. That is going to be very beneficial for him as for Castillo. He's been able to do a tremendous job of cutting down on those walks. He's only been giving up about 2.3 walks for nine innings. He's able to generate just under 10 strikeouts for nine innings. Now, 371 road ERA compared to a 252 ERA at home. A little bit of it has been the deep ball, giving up about 1.4 home runs for nine innings when he's been on the road. But all in all, like what I'm seeing out of Castillo, his last five starts, closing up a 232 ERA. He's been able to do a nice job holding down the fort despite the fact that he's given up three home runs in the time span, has been able to really limit the damage there. 
win. Against the Oakland A's, he has flat-out dominated them. One start against them, six scoreless innings. I think that I don't know if we can see six scoreless innings, but I think that he can hold them to one to two runs. This is an Oakland A's bunch at, at home this season. They're hitting below a 220 as a collective. They've been averaging 3.4 runs per contest. You do have Brent Rooker, who's been able to do a nice job pounding the deep ball with 26 home runs. Just 10 of those home runs have come at home this season. Then you've got so many guys are hitting a 225 or lower for this team. Seth Brown, Tony Kemp, Lawrence Butler, Tyler Soderstrom, Nick Allen, Elamendes Diaz, Jonathan Diaz is hitting more like a 228. I mean, all these guys have a tough time. Zach Yaloff has been able to do a nice job. A home run every about 18 at bats, hitting about 270. And Asari Ruiz, he's been able to do a nice job swiping some bags. But I know that he was out of the fold yesterday. He might be dealing with a few ailments and for Seattle. Second half of the season, this has been a top 10 offense in the big leagues with a trio of guys. Say Oscar Hernandez, Cal Raleigh, Julio Rodriguez, all being able to give you 25-plus home runs. J.P. Crawford, darn near a 400 on base in the second half of the season. But on the fold with some of these guys like Sam Agerty and company, Dylan Moore, they could be a little bit of a roll of the dice, but getting Jerry Kelnick back in the fold offers a lot more versatility for the team and for the Seattle Mariners. This continues to be a top-five bullpen with regards to ERA. Even with them trading away Paul Sewell, they've been able to do such a good job of mixing and matching with the likes of Isaiah Campbell. Obviously, you've got your veterans in Matt Brash, Andres Munoz, but as Eduardo Bizzardo, along with even someone like a Taylor Cicado, guys like this providing a sub-355 ERA has been massive for the SEMA for the Oakland A's. Andy Jimenez has been a little bit better. Trevor May has been able to give you some respectability. This is an A's bullpen that since the beginning of the month of July, they've been right around league average, but still, I do think that this is a total that's a little bit too low with the way that the Seattle Mariners are hitting. It did semi-total at some point. Looking at the over end with the Mariners, one way up to about a minus 152 with regards to that run line. 925-926 on the main board. The Minnesota Twins are on the road facing off against the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati, and they're on to two be determined who's going to be starting for them. This game is off the board. Meanwhile, Kenta Maeda gets a start for the Twins with the Reds. They are probably going to be throwing Ben Lively in this one, but the question is whether or not they utilize an opener for Ben Lively, and assuming that this is going to be the case, whether it's an opener or a non-opener, that really will not be influencing my line in this one. Set the Twins to where I'm willing to lay up to a minus 134 with them, and didn't make my total to wear a 9.5 or less. I'm going to be taking a look at the over a 10 or higher to the under. For the Twins, they have been a top four offense in the American League with regards to runs per game ever since the All-Star break, and for Kent Maeda, he has been giving up more runs recently. He has given up three plus runs, and now four out of his last nine starts, but overall, since coming off the injury list, I throw out there that bad stat. How about if we give you a good one? Since coming off the injury list, around late June, he has given up three runs or fewer in all but one of his starts, and that's a 15-start sample size, a 3.60 ERA. Now, he does have a fielding independent of a 4.06, giving up about 1.4 home runs per nine innings. He has been able to get a little bit over 10 strikeouts per nine innings, so you've got the good and the bad there, and certainly for Kenta Maeda, he has been a tad bit all over the place when he's been on the road, and Great American Ballpark is very much curtailed the hitters, but for Maeda, 3.31 road ERA, so I do think that that's very striking to take a look at it when it comes to the Cincinnati Reds. If you do get Ben Lively, he's been a really good bend but don't break pitcher for this team as he has been able to get right around about eight strikeouts per nine innings. He has a 5.22 ERA because he has been giving up the deep ball. He has given up north of two home runs per nine innings. He only gives up about 2.2 walks per nine innings, but has gotten completely tattooed his last few times out, giving up three plus runs and four out of his last five appearances, including that 
13 run spot against the Chicago Cubs. If you know, take that a little bit more out of the full, because he should not have been in the game that long. He's been a tad bit more respectable. The 393 ERA since that Cubs start was on the road, I think is a little bit more representative of what Ben Lively truly is. He's backed up by a bullpen that is right around league average. In a Reds uniform, Sam Mull, Lucas Sims, Ian Gabo, Alexis Diaz, these guys have been able to give you a sub-3-5 year aim for the Twins. Relatively league average bullpen as well. Griffin Jacks, Yuan Duran have been very good with a sub-3 ERA for the team. You've got Caleb Theobar do a solid job as well. And for the Minnesota Twins, it's just all about having guys move the line and get on base for their main matchers. Because when it comes to the main four guys that have made home runs for the team, all these guys have 18-plus home runs. Max Kepler, Michael A. Taylor, Joey Gallo, Carlos Correa. They've all been able to slug out at least 18 home runs, but really other than Kepler, nobody is hitting above about a 235 for the team. We have been seeing Michael A. Taylor in and out of the full for the team as well, but the guys more towards the middle slash bottom of the fold, like Matt Wallner, Royce Lewis, Edward Julian, Donovan Solano, these guys give me north of a 355 on base. We're on their Ryan Jeffers. They've been a big difference maker for the team, especially Royce Lewis, giving you a home run every, I would say, about 15 or so bats, and he has had four grand slams in the last three days. That has been absolutely remarkable. Meanwhile, for the Reds, they are starting to get some of their pieces back in the fold. Joey Votto has been able to give you a home run every about 15 or so at-bats. He's back as well. But I mentioned this with our good friend Rob, the fact that for Ellie De La Cruz, he makes all these just spectacular plays, but he's hitting below a 200 with a sub-285 on base ever since the All-Star break. You just need him to be a little bit better. You need him to be someone like a Will Benson who's able to give you a 360 on base. He's done a good job being a move line. Now, you do have TJ Friedel, Jonathan India, a pair of guys, between about a 330 to about a 340 on base, like what I'm seeing there. And Spencer Sear, about 22 home runs. He's been able to give you about a 360 on base as well. So do like what he's been able to bring to the table as well. And with having Jonathan in you back in the fold, by the way. That's also a pretty nice booster, but that said, I do think that the Twins should be the favorite in this spot. I like their pitching advantage in this game, and on top of that, I do think that you're going to see quite a few runs in very much eight hitters haven. Nine and a half or less, looking at the over 10 or higher to the under, and with the Twins, one to lay up to a minus 134 with that money line, plus 135 or higher, looking at the Red Legs. 927-928 on the bank board, the Chicago White Sox are on the road facing off against the Washington Nationals, as Jose Ureña looks to not Ureña all over the game for the White Sox, and Jackson Rutledge is on the bump for the Nationals. This is a total of 9.5. Over is between minus 110 to a minus 115. The under is any between minus 105 to a minus 110. Washington is a very slight favorite. Any between minus 110 to a minus 115. Anywhere between about a minus 105 to even money is your number on the White Sox. And I set the Nationals at a minus 136. This is just entirely a fate of Jose Urania. I mean, how this guy is getting starts just shows how incompetent and sad the Chicago White Sox are right now. For Jose Urania... He's got a ERA of an 848, and that's actually lower than his 909 fielding independent. He has given up 3.8 home runs, 5 walks, and 6.3 strikeouts per 9 innings this year. Now, part of that was because he began the season with the Colorado Rockies, but in his two starts with the White Sox, he had one solid start with the Detroit Tigers, and then he went back to being Jose Reina, giving up 6 runs and 6 and a third innings against the Minnesota Twins, and when that's a start that really doesn't elevate your ERA, you know that things are going very, very badly for you, and it's not like he's backed up by a great bullpen, as Gregory Santos has been able to give you a sub for your A, but I mean, you've got so many schlubs out there like Aaron Bummer when he's been in the full Jimmy Lambert. He's been dealing with some injuries. You just go down the list. There's really nobody that you could trust in. Brian Shaw's been brutal for this team. And right now, the White Sox, they've got going for them the fact that they've got Luis Robert being able to give them 35 home runs in the offense. 
I mean, it's still semi-competent, but you need guys to be able to take a base as they are between last and second to last with regards to walks drawn on a per basis. That's why you've got one guy currently on the roster with north of a 320 on base. That'd be Andrew Benatendi as he, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Andrew Vaughn, Yoel Moncada. They're all in between about a 260 to 270 and Elvis Andrews about a 260 batting average as well, but none of these guys know how to take walks. And then you've got the likes of Lennon Sosa, Trace Thompson, Gavin Sheets, Guys of this ilk, getting a 220 or lower for the Washington Nationals at the very least. You get more professional at-bats. Lane Thomas, Joey Manessis, both heading north of a 270 with Thomas being able to slug out 24-plus home runs. CJ Abrams, Keeper Ruiz, they're both hovering between about 17 to 19 home runs. Both hitting in that pocket about a 240 to 250. And both of these guys giving you right around about a 300 on base. Nationals, they too don't necessarily drink a lot of walks, but they're in the top 12 with regards to overall batting average. And then for young Jackson Rutledge, I mean, he was not able to get a win in his debut, which that's a commonality for Washington National starters. The last National starter to get a win in his debut was Steven Strasburg, but I actually liked him at the minor league level when he was pitching at the AA slash AAA level. Now I'm just a strikeout guy, but did a good job limiting our contact. Had about a 371 ERA. Guy they think can have a little bit of success, especially with how free swinging the White Sox are and for the Washington Nationals. This is also a bad bullpen. They're in the bottom six in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA, but got the likes of Kyle Finnegan, Hunter Harvey, Jordan Weems are giving you a sub 3-5 ERA. Just feels like the Nationals, who have been right around 500 ever since the All-Star break, they're still giving you an effort. Meanwhile, the White Sox, who have the worst record in the big leagues in this time span, they've just given up on the season. I'm going to go with the motivated team here with the Nationals set them more around a minus 135, so we're going to have the money line. This is is a terrible pitching matchup. The White Sox still have some competent bats in the fold, so did some until at 10.2, looking at the over and looking at the Nationals' money line, and we wrap things up with 9.29, 9.30 on the betting board. It is the Detroit Tigers, and they're going to be playing us to the L.A. Dodgers, as it is going to be to be determined on the bump for the Dodgers, and old to be determined on the bump for the Detroit Tigers, so this is a game that is presently off the board. With that said, I am right now lining up as if we're going to be getting Ryan Pepiot, who's going to be going for the LA Dodgers, and Alex Fajardo for the Tigers. And if you do get this pitching matchup, I would be setting the Dodgers to where I'd be willing to lay up to about a 208 on the money line, about a minus 110 with regards to that run line, and then nine or less looking at the over, nine and a half or higher to the under. If you do get Ryan Pepiot, I actually really like what I'm seeing out of him. He's been able to do a nice job giving you few swings and misses. It's a little bit down from what he was doing a season ago because he has been coming off of an injury, but he's been able to do a much better job of being able to keep those walks down as he has given up just two walks in 27 innings. And I do think that Pepeo, even if he's not the starter, he probably gives you some sort of bulk. Last time he started, you have to go back to the 13th of September. So this would be his time in the rotation. And all in all, I have been liking what I've been seeing out of him. A 2 ERA, 352 fielding independent. And for the Tigers, if you do get Fiato, probably going to be a poo-poo platter of pitchers for Fiato. He's been able to keep the walks down. And it's probably going to be backed up by a little bit of Tyler Holton, who could be a little bit of a long guy. He's been able to supply his sub-350 ERA. Alex Lang, a long with some other guys in the bullpen, like Jason Foley, I've been able to give you a 3-5 ERA as well. You've been able to get Bo Brisky to be able to give you a little bit of length as well, but the Tigers, they are outgunned in this spot, even with having Spencer Torkelson now being able to give you 28 home runs. It's been a very nice second half of the season to them, but you've still got a lot of guys towards the bottom of the fold that they can't drive in the likes of Torkelson. When he's been out there, Riley Green, he's currently on the injured list. Kerry Carpenter has been able to give you a 3 45 on base and has really surged here in the second half of the season. These guys, though, like 
Akio Badu, Parker Meadows, Zach Short, Javi Baez, Jake Rogers. You go down the list of guys earning a sub-225, giving you a sub-305 on base. It's rampant, and they don't necessarily have a lot of power in for the L.A. Dodgers. This team has been all about power, as you've got Mookie Betts along with Max Muncy combining for 74 home runs entering into the series. For Muncy, only about a 209, but I mean, it's on base percentage is terrific because the LA Dodgers, they draw the most walks of any team in the major leagues. You've been able to have Will Smith give you about a 365 on base. He's pounding out 18 home runs. James Elman, he's up to 20 plus home runs. Freddie Freeman, north of a 400 on base. And for Mookie Betts, since the beginning of the month of August, this guy's on base percentage is hovering in the neighborhood above 500. It's absolutely insane. Insane what we've been seeing out of him. Now, it's went a little bit dry with the home runs. Just one home run over the last 15 days. He spent a little bit of time just away from the team with the Washington Nationals series. He was injured throughout that one, so he missed like two to three games, but all in all, has been able to do an incredible job. And for the LA Dodgers, number one team with regards to bullpen race since the beginning of the month of July, Broussard Gratterall, Evan Phillips, have been guys that have really been able to come up strong for the team. Caleb Ferguson, as well, they've all been able to give you a sub-3 ERA this far the season. They're getting Shelby Miller back in the fold. Ryan Brazier is coming over for boss at a sub-2 ERA. Their righties and their lefties are all doing an amazing job with that bullpen. So, if you do get something like Alex Fayetto versus Ryan Pepio. Would set the Dodgers more around a minus 110 on the run line. Would need about a plus 210 to be able to take a shot on the Tigers. And then nine or less looking at the over nine and a half prior to the under. And that will wrap things up for the Tuesday edition of the Baseball Betting Show. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. A big thanks to Rob Donaldson for joining me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from the Sign Podcast Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, terrible fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. And I'm coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free at 